Welcome to the Concast, Comic-Con Africa's official podcast. Okay, so hello and welcome to the seventh already episode of our podcast. <laughs> already, <laughs> yeah. Lucky number seven. 14 weeks and here we are. But we are speaking to somebody that humble brag works in space, which is awesome. <laughs> so I, I'm super excited about that. And it is Dr. Daniel sitting on Zoom over there. Hello, Dr. Daniel. Good, How are you thanks doing? For me on. All's good, thanks. You are most welcome. So it is Star Wars month. And um, we've we've done a Star Wars quiz. We've done a couple Star Wars cosplay tutorials. But all I want to know is: is that possible, or are we are we wasting our time? Is it a little bit too fictitious? So is it a pipe dream? Is it just a pipe dream? So we've roped in Dr. Dan over there, and he's going to be telling us a little bit more about that. But before we do that, um, can I just get everybody to say hello and their names, so that the people listening audibly kind of have. <laughs> A voice to the name. So, George. Cool. Uh, hi, Jordan here. Looking forward to chatting about space. Nice. <laughs> Star Wars nerds. Uh, Robo Robbie here, as per usual, just chilling out. Nice. They didn't make a Star Wars anime, did they, Robbie? Not that I can think of. They're off the top of my head. <laughs> well, let's, let's let Dr. Dan introduce himself. Hey again, Dr. Dan. Hi, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Resident space expert, I guess. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, uh, Dan, why don't you just tell us exactly what your job is? Because I think there is never, ever a time where somebody has said, oh, I was chatting to that dude that works in space, and it was such a boring conversation. So if you could just tell us a little bit more about what you do, that would be greatly appreciated. Sure. My name is Daniel Panama, and I am the science engagement astronomer at the South African Astronomical Observatory. And the South African Astronomical Observatory is responsible for all of the optical and infrared astronomy that happens in South Africa. Uh, we have about 20 telescopes, which are based up in Sutherland in the Northern Cape, and they come in various shapes and sizes, uh, the largest being the Southern African Large Telescope, which is 11 meters across the mirror uh, and is the largest telescope in the Southern Hemisphere and the fourth largest optical telescope in the world. That's insane. The I also world. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's insane. world. Um, I did my PhD uh, in computational astrophysics, uh, working on simulations of galaxy formation and evolution. Nice, Jeez. awesome. I don't know. One of the things that always shocks me is that there is a space scene in South Africa. Are you? Is that a, is that a common thing? With like, oh my God, we have we have telescopes in South Africa. Is is that a common misconception? Yeah, it's unfortunately it is. And it's it's something which I guess in my job is my job to do better, uh, which is why I talk to you guys and everyone else uh, to try and promote the astronomy that's happening in South Africa. Because SALT's just one example of like the incredible instruments we have here and the incredible astronomy we're doing here. But there are various others too. Uh, recently, we built the Meerkat telescope, which is a big radio telescope. Uh, up in Carnarvon, and that is now the most powerful radio telescope in the world. So, uh, you know, we've got cutting-edge cutting radio, and um, we really are killing it in terms of astronomy. So it's a real pity that people don't know more about that. Uh, and, you know, particularly from a public perspective, the, the investment that's gone into astronomy, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's something we should really be proud of. Yeah, yeah. definitely. 
Jeez. Thanks, thanks for making us proud to be star nerds <laughs> yeah. in South Africa. To know that um, you know we've got the fourth largest telescope in the world and the largest radio, radio telescope. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, it's like the weirdest flex you could show give to someone. But it's not. <laughs> I love it though. I it's, love it. It's it, it is just. I just don't What's it like up in Africa? Is is it like a is it is South Africa kind of like the edge case for astronomical advances in Africa, or are we actually behind? So in terms of Africa, we're we're the the sort of leading country. Uh, the the South African Astronomical Observatory actually celebrated uh, two hundred years last year. Wow! So uh, <laughs> yeah, so for a long time we've been sort of leading astronomy in the Southern Hemisphere. It was the first observatory in the Southern Hemisphere. All of the original surveys of the Southern Hemisphere scars were done from Cape Town, um, and you know, so so we've really led the way. Uh, things like Salt and Meerkat now being the the sort of forefront of of astronomy in Africa, but that's changing. Uh, there's a lot of work being done across Africa to try and develop uh, skills and and different uh, you know instruments and things. Uh, a lot of the training happens here in South Africa, so you know we have a lot of masters and PhD students coming from across Africa, learning skills and then taking them back to their countries, which is wonderful, uh, and then. The, the next step from Meerkat, which you may have heard of, is the, the Square Kilometer Array, which is an even bigger radio telescope. It's going to no be sort of five times the size of Meerkat. Uh, they're going to add an extra 250 dishes to the 64 dishes that Meerkat has. And that's really like a, a huge science project, like a mega science project, one of, the, one of the biggest science projects in the world, sort of competing with the, the Large Hadron Collider and those sorts of projects. Jesus. Sure. Um, and that, and, and then that SKA project is incorporating all of Africa. So uh, we can talk about it a little bit more if you want, but uh, in order to make a great radio telescope, one of the things you need is a large area. So you need to put these radio receivers uh, over large distances. So the SKA will be building uh, the, the, the base station, the main base station in Carnarvon in the Northern Cape. Uh, where meerkat is but then there will be base stations spread all through africa you know madagascar ghana uh, kenya the, the whole way up sure Jeez. so i read somewhere that there were a few collaborative projects like last year and the year before where multiple telescopes were all kind of contributing to this one array that basically turned half the planet into a giant telescope um i'm sorry <laughs> I, I read astronomy <laughs> things every <laughs> once in a while they discovered a new black hole this last week as okay, well. that, that's cool but anyway so I, I would just like to know just from your side what what was south africa's role on that kind of collaborative project Off the planet. yeah so you you're referring to the uh the event horizon telescope or the eht yeah. uh and what they're using there is similar to radio telescopes but it's working in millimeter wavelength so they're called millimeter telescopes. Uh, and then to, to get this image of the black hole, they have the exact same issue, which I was just talking about, is they need very long baselines. So that means that the, the telescopes that are, they are combining uh, need to be at a very large distance apart. Uh, the, the, it's kind of uh, one of those things where it's the opposite to what you'd expect, but the larger your baseline, 
the higher your resolution. That means that if you can get these things on either side of the world, you can get a much better resolution image. Uh, of course, there's, you, there's, there's, you know, there's pros and cons to that. But in terms of this image of the black hole, which came out a few years ago, the one you're talking about, um, that was done. Black holes are very, very tiny, even the big ones. Um, so to get a, the image of a black hole in another galaxy like they did, they needed to combine these telescopes from around the world, as you said, into one big telescope. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is, it, it's like, I can't believe that we're sitting here. Like, it's just, it just blows my mind every time that there is literally bounds and bounds and bounds outside of what we think, like that there is no comprehend, com comprehensive kind of ending <laughs> to the galaxy. And it, it, it just blows my mind. It's insane. Sorry, that's just my, yeah. my little... Your two cents. My two cents. Over here. <laughs> two cents. As somebody that's that studied marketing, uh, sorry, yeah, you go ahead. I, I live in that era, like you know, we're sort of slowly blowing my mind every day a little bit. That's the thing. It's like, do you ever get tired of space? Because I could imagine at some point or another it becomes just a job or whatever. But do you ever get tired of it? No, no, I don't think so. I think that, uh, I mean, particularly now in like the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, the the pace at which scientific discovery is happening and you know space is really is it's the final frontier there's so much we don't know um and and the the telescopes are getting better every year the the, the sort of data capacity that we can deal with getting better every year uh, which means we're just making more and more discoveries every day and you know um <laughs> like i i do i do a weekly shot slot on espresso morning tv uh and there's never a week that goes by when you're like, oh, there's nothing to talk about this week. Yeah. There's always something. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything specific you like focus on? Like, is there any, like, uh, for instance, like black holes or stars or comets, is there anything specifically you focus on? Or do you just like, is it just like every day of the week, it's something random, something else? Or is there like a specific uh, like thing you monitor in particular? So the observatory itself, SAO, uh, you know, we do optical and infrared astronomy. Uh, and that means that our telescopes are looking at, at sort of various objects in the universe. We look at stars, sort of pulsating stars, um, uh, and sort of how stars form and evolve. We also look at galaxies further out. Um, SALT is very, very good at looking at galaxies. And with that, we can kind of look at how far galaxies are, how fast they're spinning, um, whether they're moving away or towards us, what they're made of. We can work out what gases they're made of how fast they're forming stars. So we can really learn about sort of everything about stars and galaxies and how, they, how they're evolving and, and um, sort of growing. And, um, and, and that's what we can focus on with optical and infrared. Uh, for myself personally, uh, in this role that I have in, in sort of science engagement and popularizing astronomy and space science, uh, there's sort of nothing out of bounds. So I'm... Um, you know, something of a nerd myself, and I'm always sort of watching Elon Musk launch a rocket, or uh, you know, anything that comes up in space news. I'm I'm psyched, so like uh, I, I watch it and I follow it, and I want to understand it. So uh, th yeah, there's there's certainly no limit to me uh, and my excitement, and that's why it keeps me enthused. I don't have a boring day because there's always something going on. 
Nice. Musk, the Musk. man, the myth, yeah. the legend. <laughs> Good thing you brought it up. It's in the, it's in the questions. Okay, okay. So. Well, so speaking of, so speak, uh, 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 Dr. Dan, the reason that we have brought you on here is as Comic-Con, you have a cool job, we have a cool job. We thought, okay, cool. Where could we find somewhere in the middle? And Comic-Con. today we're speaking about how possible Star Wars really is. Is Star it viable? Wars, is it viable? <laughs> is it viable? So we have a list of questions that we have run around the office and we're like, Okay, cool. What do you want to know about Star Wars? What do you want to know? We're speaking to somebody who works with space, you guys. Like, let's try and get as much as we could. The list was too long, so we've decided to <laughs> we've decided to <laughs> consolidate narrow it down. And uh, we've got a couple over here. But I just want to know from your side if there's anything that you are like. I need to tell these people Star Wars is a lie. Or I need to tell them <laughs> that this is really going to happen, and it's possible that it's going to happen. I just want to know your initial thoughts on on Star Wars. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, I mean, I'm a Star Wars fan too. So um, I think the thing is that there's so much, right? It's a it's a complex, like, space. Like, uh, it's, a, it's a complex story. Uh, and yeah. there are aspects of it that are completely unrealistic. Uh, and there are aspects of it which are very cool and are completely realistic. Uh, and some of which, you know, since the 70s have now become realistic which 50 years ago they weren't and that's sort of really cool stuff so so advances we've made which were kind of predicted 50 years ago uh and and yeah so i mean i think that there's to say that star wars is a lie or to say that star wars is unrealistic is kind of it's too broad a brush you have to look at it in a little bit more detail and say like these things maybe not these things absolutely I can guarantee that 90% of the people watching this, out of that whole thing that you just said, are going to take the part where you said there are parts that are realistic. And that's it. <laughs> then we're trending. So. I'm, I'm just saying now I'm going to take that as lightsabers are possible. Yeah, yeah. Everything is possible. <laughs> there news, are so- uh, news headline. Astronomer says Star Wars is, is real. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think I think the burning question that we have um, for you and was came up all over the office from Steven to Renee to everybody they want to know from you let's talk lightsabers viable um, not viable let's talk shop yeah let's, <laughs> let's talk because gonna level with you I've always seen that lightsabers could be possible but the thing for me that always got me was how would that light like I'm not even being funny this was the the thing that was always blow my mind is how would that light know when to stop like it wouldn't just continue shooting well despite so, the name lightsaber remember it's condensed plasma if i'm not mistaken yeah. so like it's not really light well they say it's condensed plasma but when you look at how a lightsaber is made it's light being projected through a crystal yeah, yeah. creating pla- it makes no sense when you actually look at yeah. it on so paper let's let's maybe make this easier for dr dan so like maybe the outside of the lightsaber could you get a lightsaber like object yes it functions like a lightsaber looks like a lightsaber a maybe it doesn't work how it's seen in the movies yeah. But an actual functioning lightsaber, is that possible? A light Fire. sword. A light sword. Let's yeah. <laughs> so there are aspects of it which are possible. Um, you know, Kelvin, your your question about how does it end, that's one of the big issues. Oh, really? Um, how, you know, how, how does it turn around at that point? So ideally, if, you, if you're beaming some light or, or plasma or whatever, some energy, uh, you're going to need a reflector at the other side. Um, to, to, to make sure it ends at some point. 
And that's something which is obviously not present in, in the lightsabers that we, we have in, in the film. So, so that's an issue. Um, and I'm not sure how we get around that issue, uh, but you're going to have to sort of redesign your lightsaber. And so, so yeah, so, so, so in, in that case, you know, the lightsaber as we see it, not really possible. In terms of getting energy or a force field or a plasma blade, um, it's technically possible to sort of create that level of energy. Yes, um, all I needed here was technically possible. Uh, <laughs> but, but then the, the like at, at a sort of realistic energy, uh, those two blades are just gonna pass right through each other. Um, you know, like light or plasma or anything. It's, so it's everybody's dead, basically. Well, no, 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 no. Sword, like two swords can't no, be they'll pass right through you yeah. too, right? Like it's it's not it's not going to be at high enough energy to chop you in half. It's just going to sort of, you know, like wave, waving a torch on someone um, doesn't do very much. Um, but but there there is a sort of theoretical possibility that you could generate a high enough energy to have a, a lightsaber which when it hits another lightsaber does create a force so you need a huge amount of of energy to make that happen um, so that the the plasma is of a high enough sort of intensity that when it hits another one the electromagnetic force is strong enough that it will create a force so you could do that but what you're going to need is an insane amount of energy to be held in your hand. So like we were discussing um, earlier today, John, all you need to do is go to Elon Musk, aka Tony Stark, <laughs> and get an arc reactor made and strap it into a chest plate and call it a day. There you go. It's simple. Just, just make an arc reactor. Well, okay, Dr. Dan, <laughs> exactly how much theoretical energy are we talking about here? Is it like putting a star in your pocket kind of thing? I would assume so. <laughs> That's, that's almost exactly what, what it is. Yeah. So, uh, Elon Musk, I don't know. I'll probably, like, we'll ask. He'll probably be like, okay. Next question. Um, how quickly can we get a dwarf star? <laughs> yeah. I just, I just want to know from Jordan, how is that email going to sound? Good afternoon, Mr. Musk. <laughs> okay. So let me. I hope this me... email finds you well. <laughs> let me, yeah. yeah. I, okay. So dear Elon Musk, oh, God. I hope you are well. Nice. Thanks for launching 180 satellites that some astronomers are not happy about, but South Africa will finally get very, 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 very strong internet. So thanks for that. Um, I would like you to build a pocket star with that can be turned into a lightsaber. Okay, bye. Please and thank you. <laughs> but you know what the irony is? He might actually consider it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds seeing, cool. seeing Musk's tweets, yeah. he would probably consider he it. Might. He would look at that email and be like, I'm not going to do it for you, but for myself. <laughs> Maybe. I think there's a few um, things. Firstly, I don't think he reads his email, but he might read a tweet. That's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would do it via a tweet. Um, the, the other thing is that there are about one and a half thousand Starlinks up there already. Jeez. Um, sure. Not 180. So he, he's really um, pushing those up. I mean, another 120 went up just in the last few days. Oh, sure. Rocks. <laughs> okay. So he, he's really pumping those things out. Um, and and that, that I mean, yeah, astronomers certainly aren't happy about that. That's a mm. that's a 
a story for another day, I guess. But uh, this this amount of of um, you know growth and in, in the number of satellites is hugely detrimental to particularly optical astronomy. And we also oh, haven't. I thought it was because of like obstruction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so yeah. you're going to have these satellites passing across your field of view, and you know, for for a telescope, sometimes you're doing an exposure of hours, and if you've got like a hundred satellites that come across in that hour, you have quite a oh, few yeah. streaks across yeah. your light, your photo um, or image. Sure. Hey, we actually touched on a very deep issue for astronomers. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, it's kind of a catch twenty two. Like, yell at mm. the obstruction screws over astronomers, but at the same time, he's still doing something that's helping progress technology. It's like he's progressing one side by accidentally hindering a different side of maybe, development. Maybe he needs to launch like another Hubble or something and be like, okay, we're good. It's an buy you like, off a, the like take down telescopes and put up a bigger uh, uh, telescopes satellites and put up a better one. Well, so there's <laughs> there's satellite telescopes. It's not it's not the Hubble, but it's out there sure, in space. Sure, Dr. You, Dan, you got one trillion just lying around. <laughs> just you know. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean he does. It's not um, yeah, I mean, it, like you can stick up a, another Hubble. I mean that that would be super. We I mean we're we're launching another sort of replacement to the Hubble later this year, the James Webb Space Telescope, which is going to be flipping amazing. It's huge. Um, and and that's really going to blow our minds. But I mean, the, the thing is that like, you know, we've got 20 telescopes in Sutherland alone. Uh, it's not going to be, we're not going to be able to replace that with one telescope in space. Um, mm. And there, there are thousands of telescopes around the world. So he's really going to have to fork out quite a bit. And if he could build us a radio telescope on the other side of the moon, that would be super. <laughs> we'll include it in George's email. No, uh, no, now I'm going to send that. Email. I'm hey, going to say, hey, hey, why are we shooting low here, Moon? Why about Mars? He's already going there. Might as well on his way build something up there. Hey, Robbie, if Doctor Dan wants a radio telescope on the Moon, no, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Why, why not Mars? It's further out. Because it's not what Doctor Dan it, wants. Because it's far further out. So what Doctor Dan will probably explain is that. Sending a message from Mars could take three minutes, but it also could take 17 minutes, depending on where Mars is. So, might I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one aspect of it. But, like, you know, the moon's kind of useless for anything else. We can, we can do things on Mars, but uh, the moon, especially the far side of the moon, which never faces Earth, it's like Dark the side. most radio quiet place in the universe. Um, so, the, the sort of radio signals from TV or uh, re like radio or anything going out, communication satellites, uh, it never reaches the far side of the moon, which means in terms of radio light, it is completely dark, which is perfect for a radio telescope. Maybe that's something we'll see in the next 50 years. Yeah. I want to ask you another Star Wars question, um, and uh, I, I almost, I was like, Kelvin is asking, but that's me. Um, nevertheless, <laughs> I wanted to know about the viability of the spaceships, right? Because we know spaceships are there. We know that they're very possible, but the spaceships that we see in Star Wars are very different to these massive monolithic in size spaceships that we send two or three people up into space at a time or four or five, right? So. How are we, how are we compare? And I think this is also a broader question because is personal space travel possible? Is commercial space travel possible? And is like casual space travel possible? Is that, is that something that 
Would those ships kind of look like that in Star Wars or nah? The, the problem with this conversation is we always go back to Elon Musk because he is like the closest to the to the forefront. Um, I, I don't know when this is going to air, but yesterday uh, they had the first successful sort of test flight of the Starship, which they're building, which um, you've probably watched Futurama. So it's just like the, the, the spaceship in Futurama. It kind of takes off vertically, it flies around, and then it comes and lands vertically again. And that's what they're mm. doing. I mean, they did this for the first time successfully yesterday. They launched it, sent it up to 10 kilometers, flew it sideways, brought it back down, landed it on its tail again. It's insane. Like, and, and they've been developing this now for the last couple of years, but the, the, the pace at which they're doing it is like, it's incredible. They're, they're launching a new test one every couple of weeks. Uh, and, you know, the last 12 all blew up, but, you know, they're getting there. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, NASA said that, you know, we want to send people uh, to the moon and to Mars, ultimately. Uh, and how are we going to do that? You know, we don't have a lunar lander anymore. Uh, we don't have a way to do it. So they, they put it out a few years ago to, to private companies and said, like, maybe you guys can try and develop something. And if it looks good, we will uh, just pay you to do it for us. And they, they were looking at three different companies. And then about uh, two weeks ago, they decided to scrap the other two companies and give the contract to, uh, to SpaceX. So the Starship, the one I just described, is going to go to the moon. Uh, they will sort of send people around the moon, uh, potentially as soon as, as next year. <laughs> um, and then I'm sending that email to today. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they're hoping to land people on the moon in that thing by 2024 which is insanely quick, uh, you know, like the, the, the pace and the money they're pouring into this is, is yeah, it's mind blowing. And, and therefore, I mean, to answer your question, you've got this completely reusable rocket. Uh, it looks cool. Um, and it can fly up into space, shoot around wherever it wants to go, land wherever it wants to go and take off again. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly the, the, the thing you're after. A completely reusable spacecraft. Whoa! But wait, so wait, so it flew up <laughs> and then landed back down. But did uh, when when it did it fly up high enough that it would do re-entry? Ten because because as far as I'm aware, that's the hardest part of getting it to land safely is the re-entry, not the exiting. It's the, the coming back in. <laughs> Gravity's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think I think that. They might argue uh, that that like landing a you know <laughs> a, a massive fifty ton or I don't know how many tons it is it's a lot probably five hundred tons um, thing on its tail uh, you know when it's not sort of aerodynamically stable it is is pretty tricky um, so at the moment this isn't doing reentry ten k's ten k's is yeah yeah so because like yeah um, but you know this is the first time they've really stuck a landing. Um, and the thing hasn't blown up afterwards. Uh, so <laughs> from now <laughs> on, they'll start sending them a bit higher uh, until they are actually doing that. And I mean, the really cool thing at the moment is it lands in the same spot it took off from here. That's so, so cool. It's not, it like goes up, goes around, comes back to the same spot. Uh, it's, 
it's not it's not the sort of rockets we think of where they kind of shoot off and then land in the ocean and stuff um mm. they really are uh, nailing it so so i think yeah in the next year we'll see these things going uh uh into into orbital space uh, and then coming back down uh, it's one of those things they're working on you know getting the heat tiles right and uh, so that it can withstand re-entry i think that they you know we've done re-entry before with the space shuttle uh, so I think that it's it's something we can, although that did fail a couple of times, but we don't talk about that. Yeah, because no, um, for, for me, and, that was the biggest thing. Like, it's like, not to diminish, it's impressive that it flies around and then lands by itself. Like, that's all impressive, yes. But to get to the end goal we're talking about here, for me, isn't the scary, the scariest part was always the... The coming back. The coming back into atmosphere because of the things like velocity, gravity, doubling, quadrupling that like 10 times over. The thermosphere... All of, all of, yeah, all of that jazz. So like, well, all that's uh, the, the flying around and stuff is really, really impressive for how far the techs come. To get to like the star, like an actual like starship as it's known in pop culture, I'm like, that re-entry is going to be like, that's a death trial right there. Yeah, that's that, a difficult trial. I think right give there. Musk two years. No, no, no. <laughs> if anyone on this fucking planet is going to get that done right, it's Elon Musk. No one's going to argue that. He's going to get it right. The question is just like, how quickly can he do it? Because re-entry is hard. <laughs> and I think Dr. Dan has the answer. I mean, they've been launching these things every two weeks, as I said. Like, like two years, he'll, they'll be sending things into space, whether they come back successfully or not, but they'll be sending them into space before the end of the year. It's, uh, it's moving very, very quickly. Um, they, and they have this production line going, right? So, you know, the next five or 10 are already getting built. Um, because instead of spending 10 years trying to get it right and, and do it once, they just throw money at it, build one, try it, nah, that didn't work, learn something, do another one. Um, so, so yeah, I think that you're right, re-entry is hard, uh, but I think, we'll, I think we'll see it successful before the end of the year. Sure. Jeez. So that actually leads on to one of the questions <laughs> that I put there. So it was basically using the math of what's happening right now and like time scaling future space travel. Uh, we've already kind of agreed that by the end of the year or by, maybe by the end of next year that orbital travel will be possible. How so I've kind of graded this question into like tiers. So how long do you think it would take for interplanetary travel one interstellar travel to intergalactic travel three and is it even possible to go into universal or okay, is that, yeah. okay, that, that, that <laughs> one is actually theoretical because we don't even know what the end of our universe is yeah that so, last one's impossible that's that's pure theoretical the, lo the, the last question is, is is just a bonus question which yeah. dr dan i'm <laughs> sure you you, you yeah, used to more. ace those used to get 120 percent on your physics exam oh my god go for it <laughs> yeah so i mean there's a few things right um interplanetary travel is not so bad uh you know we like we really will see the starship you know you, you say it's called starship in pop culture but actually it's the formal name for the for the one they're building um spacex has the coolest naming um uh, technique i don't know how you guys are uh, on on cursing on this oh yeah no we, you're allowed to curse the, 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 it's called the starship now uh, at first when it was conceptualized it was called the bfr 
uh, which stands for yeah. the big fucking rocket. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> Why did we throw that one away? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they, they've got a cool naming naming technique. So, so that that starship will be sending people to the moon in the next few years, uh, and you know, the step to Mars is not that much further. So, so we can travel to Mars. Uh, getting back is going to be a little bit trickier uh, in terms of refueling and things, but that's something which uh, we're working on pretty hard uh, so that when this thing lands, it can refuel with methane and oxygen, uh, get off Mars and come back. Uh, what'll, what'll probably happen is there'll be various like supply missions which go before. Uh, they'll set up a base. They'll make sure everything's waiting there. So when you land, you can just like fill your tank and come home. Uh, so interplanetary travel within the next decade, for sure, uh, I think we'll, we'll be seeing uh, shooting back, to, back and forth to Mars. Uh, that, that's not too much of a uh, trouble with, within our current sort of physics and, and technical capabilities. That's and then intersolar, I think, would be already... Uh, no, no, just between solar systems. Interstellar is between solar systems, isn't it? I died. A stellar object is a star. Either either way, I think that's going to be one of that's going to where it already starts getting hairy because now you have to basically hope there's a planet viable yeah. <laughs> to to land on. Well, we even we know all ours. We know which ones are viable and which ones ain't. <laughs> In a new solar system, let's talk shop. <laughs> yeah. So. The, the interstellar, um, you know, so, so a solar system is, is the sort of planets and, and things around a star. Um, solar refers to our sun. Um, but uh, yeah, so going to another star, like the nearest star to us is four light years away. That's far. Um, yes. That means if you're traveling at the speed of light, you are going to take four years to get there. We cannot travel at the speed of light. Nothing can travel at the speed of light. Um, and even getting close to it is very, very difficult. So to try, you know, we can probably realistically get a, a spaceship up to maybe 10, 20% of the speed of light. So you're looking at 20 or 40 years to get to the nearest star uh, with current technology. That's a long trip. Um, and then, you know, you don't have a refueling station on the other side. So it's inevitably a one-way trip. Uh, the other issue is that, you know, you arrive and you send a message back to Earth and say, honey, I'm, I'm here. Um, and that takes four years to get back to us. Jeez. And, then, and then we say, cool, like sending love. Here's your, here's your <laughs> yeah, cheers, mate. That takes four years to get back again. So like, you know, <laughs> it's... It, 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 there's yeah it, it's going to be tricky uh it's it's probably something which uh we'll attempt but we're not going to attempt it with humans for for a, a very long time uh you know we'll, we'll try and send something with a solar sail or, or, or something like that um and but but the, the space gets very very big and that kind of leads into the next one which is you know in, intergalactic Space is really, really big. It's kind of incomprehensibly big. Um, so, you know, galaxies are millions of light years away, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. Uh, so even if we're moving at the speed of light, 
you've you've got you know uh, since before the dinosaurs uh worth of time to before you can get there Jeez, um, so even if we can travel to the next solar system by the time we get to that point of travel speed we have that same travel speed to again close the gap for yeah. the next one <laughs> i think it's so really about right. you know, maybe Four thousand twenty-seven. You'll get there. I think let's <laughs> let's just give up on rockets for the intergalactic travel and just work on teleporters. No, no. If we're being honest, if if we can get to from plant once we at the point where we can get to planet to planet, we already have got a power source that's capable of doing that efficiently. And then the more efficient that's going to get, then eventually you'll get to that point. It's just not going to happen. Look like that. You're you're not going to get to another galaxy on propellant of any kind it would have to be not, some well, kind you, of you, you can't say never because new new things are being developed for instance people are like you'll never get flying cars star travel nah it's never gonna ha- look where we are now uh-huh. like people have always said that so it's not like it's impossible it's just a matter of time but the thing is like yeah getting getting to that point because like do you disagree that once you if we find a way to go the speed of light like even if it's just once could we not then further develop and double that and then triple it then quadruple it and then keep going uh quadruple the speed speed of light Um, no no but sorry no what what i mean is like get getting to that speed like it's possible it's not impossible because it's measurable if you can measure something it's possible and if it's possible you can do it as well I don't think that'll stand up in physics class, that argument. Damn it. <laughs> no, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's like, you know, in terms of getting to, to Mars, it's really easy, actually. Um, like in terms of propellant and stuff, you basically just have to, uh, you know, get to 11 kilometers a second, escape Earth's gravity uh, a little bit more, it'll bump you, bump you in the right direction and you land on Mars. Um, that's, that's not so bad. Uh, escaping the sun's gravity, trying to get out of out of the solar system, that gets a little bit more difficult. Uh, we can do it. Uh, you, you use things like gravitational assists, which means you kind of fly past a planet and get swung out again, um, like a slingshot. And that's what they do with a lot of the, the probes that go out to Jupiter or Saturn or further out. They'll do a couple of planetary flybys on the way out to, to fling them. You can get a lot of energy like that, a lot better than you could put a propellant um hmm. so yeah i mean you can you can maybe go on this sort of long <laughs> looping journey around our solar system getting as much energy as you, as you can and then finally get flung out um uh and and that that's probably the most efficient way to get your energy up the um the sort of propellants that uh, in in star wars for example like these ion drives so that's very promising actually um People have built ion drives. I actually built an ion drive when I was Yay. at school. Nice. It's like cool. it's pretty cool. Like I mean, you know, you built this little model. You can look it up um, with a, a sort of a charged wire. You need a lot of charge. I ripped apart my computer monitor, um, <gasps> and and you run it through this thin exposed wire in a triangle, and you have tin foil underneath, and you build it out of balsa wood, so it's like super light, and then excuse me <clears throat> and then you run like a huge amount of of current through it 
and the magnetic field interacts with the foil, the magnetic field from the wire, and creates a tiny amount of lift, and the thing lifts off the ground. It was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> um, and it, yeah, I mean, try it at home. So, uh, so those things are possible, and and people have built them, you know, a little bit more powerful than that. Uh, and what they like the nice thing with them is, you know, you can run it off a solar panel or something, uh, and then use that energy. There's no propellant um, hmm. because, you know, as Jordan said, like propellant is 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 tricky. I mean, the more propellant you need, the the more propellant you need. If you if you need to take propellant into space, then you need like ten times that amount of propellant to get that propellant into space uh, because you know it it gets heavier. So you really want something which doesn't require propellant. Um, and these ion drives are really cool for that. Uh, obviously, getting one strong enough to do the things that they do in Star Wars is probably a couple of, you know, maybe centuries away for us. Um, but that's that's not saying it's impossible. So you could you could build an ion drive in theory um, and get some sort of cool. Uh, blue light propellant thing going um and yeah but then um you know accelerating up to the speed of light that's there's like this real issue with that um in terms of relativity because the faster you go the heavier you get um until you know the close like you, you approach the speed of light and you essentially have infinite mass um which means that you need infinite amounts of energy to accelerate you any further. Uh, so you really do run into a bit of an issue the closer you get to the speed of light. Um, and, and then you kind of, then we get into the, the Star Wars sort of hyperspace vibe. Um, and that's where, you know, this is, this is way out of the realm of, of what we could do now. Um, that's going to require a completely new understanding of of the universe and space and time um you know einstein did a great job um and he describes with with relativity space and time extremely well um you know there's there's been various tests of relativity over the last century uh, and none of them have failed um he yeah it there's like there's a reason we think of him as 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 um, special as he was because it, it really is like it's a remarkable step forward in terms of our understanding of space time. So you're going to need some completely new earth shattering um, discovery on being able to bend space and time in some way uh, that you could travel. Uh, wormholes question mark <laughs> no, Dan, i have to tell you i think that that is the quietest we've ever been yeah actually like classes in session particle <laughs> yeah. physics 101 flipping cool yeah, yeah I, I absolutely love space and yeah. like and like dan is also interested in like the one section i love which is stars yeah yeah oh I, i'm more interested in the death of these stars because I, I love nebulas 
But uh, well, like, it is one of my favorite sections of astronomy. That compounded with what Dr. Dan was speaking about with busy slingshotting through the gravity of gravitation. Here's into next question. Beautifully so. Yeah. I love to hear it, George. So, Slick it on me. <laughs> on our list of questions from around the office, uh, somebody wanted to know how possible the Death Star is. A moving planet, planet that is inhibitable. <laughs> Wait, but now now we've got an astronomer, Robbie. So let's hear what Doctor Dan has to say. The slightest. So, All right, let's go for so it. So because like the the way that the the Death Star works Would is it's like this massive ISS station <laughs> that can also obliterate planets. And one of my things over there, much like with the lightsabers, and I think I answer <clears> something over here, is the gravity of the people on said planet. But then but you might you might walk around. You might need to specify or say okay. Death Star 1, 2, and 3. I think Calvin is just like any Death I, Star. Is any, are any of them viable? Is a floating round planet where people live and can destroy other planets possible? I mean, obviously not with our current technology. Um, but in theory, you know, we could mine on Earth like enough iron ore uh, to build something the size of the moon. Sure, why not? Like, mm. you know, there, there, there's a there's a theory that like that's where the moon came from in the first place was you know a collision between another planet and Earth, and the moon kind of blobbed off in this sort of yeah. debris, which then cooled and formed the moon. So, so th there's enough mass, uh, you know, <laughs> that maybe gravity on on Earth would get slightly smaller if we mined that amount of <laughs> of iron and stuck it in in space. But you know, we have an iron core, so there, there's technically uh, enough iron on earth to build something like that so it would obviously be very difficult uh but but sure it's it's possible to build something of that scale and if you build something of that scale uh, like the moon it has gravity you know everything with mass has gravity the larger it is the stronger the gravity so if you do build something the size of the moon it will have the moon's gravity uh, so you'll be able so, to bounce around sorry. on it Sorry, Dr. Dan, I just want to ask over there. So this sounds really stupid, but I think it's the only way that I'm going to understand it. So planets come with gravity. So <laughs> everything so, comes. So with it's them. like no matter what mass there is. So does that mean like even meteors? So Calvin, yes, so, you have your own gravity. Yes, but no, no, no. Yeah. So I, this is genuinely interesting. And I'm asking from a very genuine place. I never took physics like I just I really don't understand it. So Same. anything with mass has gravity. Is that? Yes. Is that the way that it works? So the Death yep. Star naturally has its gravitational pull. There's not like something in the middle that they were like gravity on, gravity off, yep. something like that. So that's actually, that's really cool. Sorry. Just yeah. as you were, Dr. Dan, yeah. a little mind blow for the week. I mean, so everything's got gravity. You've got gravity. You're attracted to Jordan next door. Um, you know, it's like, it's not awkward if, unless we let it be. But like, um, so even the smallest amount of mass has gravity. Um, and, and then as you get more and more, you know, they, they, the 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 masses attract each other. So, yeah, the 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 Death Star of Moon scale will have have Moon's gravity. Obviously, you would have to walk around sort of you you know you wouldn't all be facing the same way. Um, if if you're on either side of the Death Star, you'll be the same as Earth. You'll be standing upside down relative to the other guy. Um, going sort of internal uh, is gonna be there's gonna be less and less gravity so uh, if you think about it if you're right at the center of the moon 
there's as much mass to your left and your right and your above and below. Um, so those are counteracting each other. So at the center of the moon, you'd float. <laughs> you know, so right. if there was a if there was a hole, an office at the center of of the the Death Star, you'd float around it. Um, and then as you walk towards the edge, there would be more and more gravity, depending on how much uh, of of the core is below you, essentially. I can't um, remember. Is our is the iron core of the Earth suspended in gravity, or is it is it was it suspended in in mag in a magma pool? I can't remember. Yeah. So, so the 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 core of the Earth is a, a solid sort of inner core, um, yeah. and then there's a kind of more liquid outer core, uh, and then on the real surface there's like this, you know, the the moho discontinuity and stuff, which is kind of the the magma which comes up yeah. and um, and causes volcanoes and things. So you know, at, at the center there's enough enough sort of pressure that it, that it is solid um but further out there is liquid and that's what generates our magnetic field um but you know it's, it's not it's not suspended per se it's, it's kind of the, the center where everything's kind of pulled together in the most dense uh state and uh death star it's been a hot minute three. since i've done geosis i had geography class guys give me a break here okay <laughs> <laughs> and so like death star three with the one from the disney universe is an actual planet that they've basically modeled around no like internally <laughs> no i'm serious i'm si no, watch no, the new i 100 believe yeah. you i'm just laughing at how funny that sounds we scaffolded a planet yeah <laughs> Oh wait, no, but it gets it gets better. So the way the way its death gun works is it literally sucks in the plasma of its nearby star and shoots that as a plasma ray to other planets oh in other solar God. systems. You can't make this well, somebody did, Robbie. It's called Star Wars. <laughs> so like, is it possible to like suck up a star? and shoot that no you're missing the best question Can we, should we be scaffolding the moon <laughs> no, I'm joking. don't do that ocean currents would get fucked up we would die <laughs> yeah so i mean in, in terms of like sucking up a star i mean stars do that to each other which is quite cool um you get these like super Dude, dense stars like neutron stars and things um and they form in like well you know, sometimes stars form in a binary system, so they're kind of orbiting each other. Um, you know, like Tatooine, uh, th that's that's legit. You can have planets around yeah. two stars. Um, you have you have double suns. Um, we found s systems, uh, stellar systems, where where that's the case. Um, so that's a, that's a cool little Star Wars nugget. Um, but taking a, a sort of a star apart if you have this really dense neutron star and another star orbiting around it fairly nearby uh, because of the the density of the neutron star it'll like suck off the surface and slowly devour this other star like it, it's pretty cool um and as it kind of uh, gets more and more energy then it does various things like you know shines in the x-ray and things um so so technically yeah, if you had a if you had a big enough dense enough object, you could you could suck um, the surface of a star off. But now, I mean, <laughs> like a neutron star is 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 nuts. It's like 
you know, 10 or 12 kilometers across, but with the mass of the sun. So, you know, yeah. think of like Joburg, um, but the mass of the sun. Um, so, you know, now, now you've got a pretty messed up Death Star if, the, if there's one of those at the center of it. Um, and, and obviously it's going to cause some issues. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> it's a pretty messed up Death Star. I haven't told you guys how much I have stars. <laughs> All right, I think I think I'm gonna offer everybody the opportunity, Doctor Dan. We we wrap up every podcast with this. I'm gonna go around the room. And, Wait, we're done already. Uh, yeah, we. Uh, no, I'm mean, gonna <laughs> sit and chat to Doctor Dan like all day. Calvin, go speak to Renee. I feel Carla. like we were starting to get into stars, and I was like, yes, let's go, boys. <laughs> we gotta call it over there, you guys. I'm so sorry, um, but I'm gonna go around the the room, and uh, this is an opportunity for you to add anything to the podcast, uh, Doctor Dan. Um, I know that you have your own podcast, so why don't we start with you, if you could give us some of the information over there, and then you are welcome to add anything to the tail end of this podcast. It doesn't have to even be related. Um, this is, the stage is yours. Sure. Oh, yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks again for having me. It was a great conversation. Um, yeah, I've got my own podcast, so if you want to, um, uh, myself and a, a colleague, Jacinta, uh, and we talk about, you know, astronomy uh, in Africa, uh, and everything kind of related to it. So we talk about these things about, you know, new discoveries and uh, observations, but then also kind of the social aspect of astronomy and development and, uh, and things like that. So uh, it's called the Cosmic Savannah. Uh, you can check the cosmicsavannah.com or on social media uh, at Cosmic Savannah, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, just look us up. Uh, I think we've got about 36 episodes at the moment and, nice. uh, you know, um, some various mini episodes that some of our, our sort of younger students did for us. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, cool stuff there, uh, interesting things. And uh, we're on season break at the moment, but we'll be starting up with season four soon. Um, yeah. So if you want to hear more kind of astronomy uh, and space news, uh, yeah, uh, have a listen and yeah, so yeah, and otherwise, I mean, I think uh, any messages that I want to send out, I think that, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, in terms of South Africa, we, we are really, um, you know, doing incredible astronomy, and I don't think that enough people appreciate that. Um, it's really something to be proud of. Uh, everyone kind of thinks of NASA and, uh, you know, these sorts of uh, big companies as leading the way. But, you know, in, t in terms of our telescopes and uh, our astronomy research, we're, we're cutting edge. Um, and, and that's something which I think as South Africans, we should really, really be proud of and, and be sharing. And um, yeah, uh, I feel quite passionately about that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, it's been an absolute ride learning from this side. Like I said, forgive my ignorance, but I genuinely did not know that the space scene in South Africa was this hot. So we had such powerful telescopes that we had some of the most advanced equipment in, in the South largest Hemisphere. and then first largest. Exactly. Like I, yeah. <laughs> this has been extremely mind blowing. Uh, Robbie, is there anything that you would like to add? Uh, so I'm not a smart guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a, I'm a man who makes things look pretty. I'm a graphic designer, so that's my job description. I think you're pretty but, smart. Oh, thanks, George. <laughs> but, uh, but that's why I always enjoy like conversations with much more intelligent people than myself. I, I retain like 
a good majority, but I won't retain all the information. But I do enjoy listening. Like, it's always so fascinating hearing these things, especially when it comes to astronomy. I love fucking space. Space is one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> well, out of the world. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw one in there. That that should be used for the trailer. Like. <laughs> but uh, it has been a pleasure. I've learned quite a bit. And I am definitely going to go check out Cosmic Savannah because it actually sounds like a blast. Yeah. yeah. George, anything to add? Likewise, I'll, I'll echo those statements. Um, definitely going to go check out Cosmic Savannah now. Um, yeah, just always been interested in space and what physicists do. And like Robbie said, I think I'm also not like a, a smart guy. <laughs> I would not be able to help you guys calculate gravity in any way or anything that you guys are struggling with. I just thought we could get to the speed of light. So don't feel too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's get to the speed of light guys. <laughs> but I feel as though like when, when people such as yourself kind of talk about it or just like come on TV shows, I'll watch it and I'll do my best to understand it. Cause I absolutely love that we're, we're, like trailblazing here in our very own galaxy and there could come a day where we might be zipping from one galaxy to another mm. not in three million years but close enough but close <laughs> enough so just yeah it was it was an absolute pleasure meeting you thank you for your time dan I think I think the thing that I want to add um, at the tail end of this is, uh, Dr. Dan, I really, really appreciate how uh, you took the time out to explain it to us in layman's terms. And it might sound like we're like, oh, you know, unga bungas this side, but we are unga bungas. Thank you so much for for genuinely e explaining to us and and like using understandable baby terms it is, it is very appreciated thank you very much um and for your time and for agreeing to talk about this crazy weird topic it is it is very much appreciated um and i think that what you as an individual what your organization is doing for the south african space scene is incredible and it's extremely admirable and i mean congratulations that is the only thing that i can say congratulations <laughs> on raising awareness and thank you so much for for being so flipping cool man <laughs> like, thank you for everything um but having said that cosmic savannah there'll be links in the description um, Indeed. and then i've got to do the do the thing where i say please like share and subscribe don't forget to rate yeah. us on spotify and apple music and review give us that good five star please that's a belief, man. <laughs> and whatever they just said yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, also all social media and don't forget to follow cosmic savannah yes yes we will see all of you in the next one in episode 8. Alright. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers everybody! Bye! Bye. Bye.